Welcome to the Closing Time Podcast for the week of June 16, 2019. I am Joe McGuire. She is Abby Bro. You can check out our website, ClosingTimePodcast.com, for all the latest news from the real estate world, helpful tips for buyers, sellers, and other agents, and all of our previous podcast episodes. Make sure you keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram. We also do all sorts of great realtor uh, branding videos, home tours, and so much more. ClosingTimePodcast.com. Click on the CMG Real Estate link. Now, Abby and I have talked about this. Uh, we are throwing a client appreciation party coming up on August 1st, which we're very excited about. Mm-hmm. Already gotten a ton of great responses. Yeah. And we've never done it before. No, unfortunately, we haven't. Um, and, you know, that's too bad. But, you know, it's always good to start now. Well, that's why we're starting now. And, yes. and this is the cool part. You know, I think we've got a pretty great day planned. This should become a traditional thing. It's a, at a great country club. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, what are some things we need to know? What, what are some things we should be looking out for? Yeah. Because I assume these things should go fairly well. I like the, I like the party. I like to have parties. Kick back. Yeah. yeah. I'm Hang just out, wondering. I know. So um, we have invited everybody from that we... Um, have worked with in the past and um, we're in, inviting them to Paradise Country Club in Hamden and you know at that place you know there's two different pools there's a pond uh, paddle boats everything like that we're gonna have food we're gonna have games um, but we also kind of are thinking that we want to give a little gift something that they can take away in, in remembrance of it so um, if there are any agents out there that have had successful um, parties in the past, please give us some tips. We would love to hear them of what you have done for like a little takeaway gift, you know, or maybe we don't do one, you know, maybe it's like an arts and crafts. That could be fun. Should Like they make their own thing. Yeah. That might be cool. That might be cool. That it would, ha- it would really have to be, be something cool. they would want to keep on their bookshelf to remember us by. <laughs> That's a pretty <laughs> solid idea. Yeah. So uh, we think it's going to be a lot of fun, but um, maybe uh, an alternative for other agents would be like a wine tasting or something like that. I guess depending on who your clients typically are. Um, I have been working with some families, so I thought that an event where they can bring their kid and not have to pay for a babysitter would be good. Oh, it's going to be great. I mean, yeah. all all of my clients. Uh, uh, it's funny the one the one single woman I sold to a couple of years ago now has a husband and a baby. Well, there you go, Perfect. and is thrilled about coming out to, to to Paradise Country Club for the day. So, Yay. so yeah. yeah. So, if I would love to hear from other agents what they have done, any tips and tricks. Uh, you could either check out our Facebook page or you can go to our Instagram. That'd yeah. be really cool. Thank you. All right, let's take a look now at some real estate news. Uh, the rate of buying, fixing up, and reselling a house, flipping, mm-hmm. as we uh, know here in the industry, hit a nine-year high with over 49,000 single-family homes and condos selling in that category in the first quarter. That's not good. Mm. Uh, experts warn that uh, th- this amount, this percentage of all, it was 7.2% of all homes were flips. That's up from 5.9 in the previous quarter and 6.7 from the year before. The total number of homes that were flipped was down 8% in the first quarter of 2018. But experts say the uptick in home flipping could actually indicate the conditions in the housing market are getting worse. Hmm. In the first quarter, flipped houses sold for a median price of 215000 The median purchase price Stood at one hundred fifty-five thousand, making the gross flipping profit 
$60,000. That's a three-year low. In the same quarter last year, the gross flipping profit was $68,000. Hmm. So they call this sort of the canary in the coal mine when house flipping becomes a bigger percentage of the market and the profit margin goes down. Uh, that's not good news for the market. Yeah, I guess not, huh? You know, I, I wonder how much of this, too, though, Abby, is it, it seems like everybody and their brother, oftentimes with their brother, actually are flipping homes. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen some bad flips. What constitutes a bad flip? What have you seen? Um, Where the work is not great. Mm-hmm. where clearly these guys were like flying by the seat of their pants. So where Left are they... Leftover materials oh. for flooring and stuff, you okay. know, where there's not a real good flow, uh, you know, with flooring. You you could tell when someone's just using the resources they have to, to do a flip. Whatever's in the as-is bin at Ikea or something like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I've seen that too, but um, the ones recently that I've seen... The good ones are the ones where they fix the issues. So let's say there's water damage or mold or something, new windows. They fix the issues in the home. But then cosmetically, they use just kind of, you know, they don't go overboard on the materials that they use. So they don't use like the highest grade marble or the highest, you know, the most beautiful flooring. They just kind of use standard flooring. You know, because you're getting a solid house, you're getting a good return on your investment, and it's a good product. The worst flip I ever saw was a house I sold. And by the time we got to the closing, no, this was... That's terrible. No, it, 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 it all worked out for my client, but yeah. there was... The guy did a lot of work to this house. Mm-hmm. A, a, an incredible amount of work, but in the end, and this is where it ate up all of his profit margin, we had the home oh. inspection... And there were support beams down in the basement. Yeah. And they were all um, not up to code. The lolly columns? Or- yeah. Yes. Okay. The, it, it ended up costing him $15,000 to get that done before closing. Yeah. And we got to the closing, and he admitted to us this was his first flip oh. and that he had barely broken even oh, when wow. all yeah. was said and done. Yeah. And that's kind of standard for, I feel like, the, your first flip because you got to get your guys. Um, down. I mean, to have a crew dedicated to you, you have to be a high volume flipper. Um, so starting off, you're just going to have to find a crew that is going to be available, to be honest. Yeah. And if you don't have that relationship with them, it's tough. You have to be uh, really know about homes um, to know that the lolly columns need reinforcement or they're not up to code. Um, so yeah, uh, doing your research. And knowing your numbers are huge when you're looking for a flip. Now, the number of homeowners failing to make mortgage payments hits new lows all across our country. However, portions of the country that were hit by natural disasters continue to struggle. Across the U.S., 4% of homeowners fell into some sort of delinquency on their mortgages in March. That's down from 4.3% a year earlier and the lowest level uh, for the month of March in 13 years. Foreclosure rates, uh, which is when a home is seized by the government due to the inability to pay, is at 0.4%, which is a really great number. Mm. Overall, delinquency rates have risen in 42% of the country. Panama City, Florida, and Albany, Georgia, saw some of the highest rises in serious delinquency rates or payments that are due more than 90 days all across the country. 
uh, Hurricane Harvey, which hit Houston, uh, and then Hurricane Michael, which hit Southern Florida. In a lot of the cases, these are the homes that that have been affected. Uh, homeowners who have uh, suffered these property damages tend to fall delinquent as they try to figure out uh, how and where and when to get their repairs done. Right. I mean, it's a lot of um, it's a lot of processes to go through, a lot of red tape to finally get the funds. When you're not living in your home yeah. because it's damaged, I mean, I think making a mortgage payment is probably the last thing on your mind. Exactly. I want to get my house fixed so I can live in it again. Probably yeah. is is a, a higher priority. But that's very unfortunate. And this past year, that happened in Hamden with the tornado that that hit, and it was insane. I mean. Thankful, I live in the same neighborhood where that was, um, where that happened, and thankfully, my my baby and I, Max, were home, and I saw, um, you know, the skies change, and I was like, I brought him over to the window, and I'm like, ooh, there's weather, you know, but like I would never think it was to be a tornado. Oh, right. And the next day, I was driving uh, to Cheshire off Shepherd Ave, and um. I was stuck on the mountain for over an hour because there was so much damage. I couldn't get off the mountain. Um, it literally just like destroyed the neighborhood next to me and the subsequent seven neighborhoods after that. So driving through even Shepherd Ave now, you see houses that had to be completely demolished and rebuilt. And those people, again, they had to live somewhere else. Yeah, right. You know, um, they just reopened Sleeping Giant, which is so exciting. Oh, I saw that. It was like <laughs> two just days this, ago. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so that's a little so over great. a year. But those people. Yeah. I wonder what happened to those people. I mean, they're fighting with their insurance companies. They're fighting with um, FEMA. Thankfully, you know, the mayor was able to assist in getting us FEMA help. Um, but yeah, it's disastrous. And that was such a small disaster compared to these other ones throughout the, the nation. So. Yeah, it's, it's amazing a, that they don't have a better program in place. Well, to they get better get one <laughs> up and running quicker. I don't understand that. This is going to be happening more and more. So this is going to be huge. Yeah, well, it definitely is. Yeah. Meanwhile, the lack of affordable housing remains a big problem here in Connecticut. Doug Werner of Tiny House Company at Bridgeport believes tiny homes could be the solution. He and his team have been campaigning for years to secure a parcel of land in Park City where they can build a community of tiny houses, which he hopes will kickstart interest in city and state officials looking to deal with need-based housing demands. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, there were 140,531 Connecticut households deemed extremely low income, but only 51,050 affordable rental units were available in the state. Warner City thinks tiny homes could be a viable way to increase the affordable housing stock. A 420-square-foot tiny home Costs between fifty and $65,000. It takes 90 days to complete it. The medium house listed uh, by Zillow uh, in Fairfield County, $435,477. Yeah. We're going to deep dive into uh, the tiny home phenomenon. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of research trying to get, um, you know, talking to the experts. I actually reached out to Doug to see if he wanted to chat. Haven't been able to connect with him yet, but... Um, we're hoping to have a whole episode based on tiny houses because I'm um, fascinated by it. I mean, they say that it's fifty to sixty thousand dollars to make these houses, but then there's a lot more than that. You have obviously taxes, and you know, Doug, or, you know, this company is based in um, Fairfield County, um, so they have you know uh, their rules and regulations, and then compared to maybe like Litchfield County, different rules and regulations. 
uh, you know, you have to get a septic tank, perhaps a well. Yeah. You have to be, you know, hooked up to the utilities. Um, there's a lot more than fifty to sixty thousand dollars, to be honest. You know, you have to have the land. Where are you going to put your? Well, yeah, that's put the, your house. <laughs> that's the biggest thing, is right. Yeah. Getting a parcel. Right. Although you don't need a big piece of land for a tiny home. <laughs> you don't. But you know, if you do need a septic tank, you need an, enough for that. True and, that. Yeah. What is that so, like? Seventy-five feet, fifty feet around to, from be, the well, I think. Or yeah, between right. Yeah, yeah. there's there is certainly a, a lot that goes into that. Well, it'll be interesting if we can get oh, Doug on wait. the horn and we could talk to him about it. Maybe see what one of these uh, really shakes out at. Yeah. By the time all is said and done. Yeah. And I know that this is for we're talking in terms of, um, you know, low income housing. So that's just wonderful. What would that do for the people in this state that are in that situation? Um, and then also, what would it do going forward um, for people not being able to go out to Target and just shop whenever they feel like it and bring things home to their house you know so maybe it's going to be a a lot less wear and tear on the environment which is i'm super excited about so um i would like to kind of see how that would change things going forward well i look forward to getting into tiny homes yes would you would you i don't think so (laughs) no that was just a fun play on words i don't know if i could do that i get claustrophobic Mm. i don't know yeah i need room yeah and plus you have four kids yes Four kids in a tiny home and a not, wife not be a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the wife would keep me busy outside the home, no doubt. Yeah, and I think that's what people think. They're like, "Oh, we'll have, we'll be outside a lot more." Um, when in reality, that's awesome. But in Connecticut, it gets freezing <laughs> and yeah. snowy. So now, uh, last Sunday, some pretty big news here in Connecticut. It was announced that the state's largest employer, United Technologies and Raytheon Company, agreed to a massive merger. It was officially announced on Monday. Now, UTC's headquarters are based in Farmington. The company employs nearly 20,000 people in the state between Collins Aerospace and Pratt & Whitney. The merger requires regulatory approval, so there is still a way to go. The transaction expected to close in the first half of 2020. Governor Ned Lamont released the following statement saying UTC and its subsidiaries, including Pratt and Whitney, Otis Elevator, and Collins Aerospace, continue to be an important part of Connecticut's fabric. It's important to note that nearly all of UTC's 19,000 employees remain in Connecticut, with roughly 100 moving to the new headquarters. Senator Chris Murphy released a statement. He has serious concerns about this merger and its impact on the country and on Connecticut. So I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about this in the coming weeks and months. Yeah. Uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal also uh, expressed concern about this this move. Uh, the company is is heading to Massachusetts, which has been friendlier to business yeah. and has been much more appealing. And again, you know, Boston. Right. Something There's a big draw. Boston. There's a big draw there um, for people, you know, professionals living and working in, in Boston and Massachusetts. So, yeah, it's interesting. I actually chatted with someone um, working in the industry. Uh, this person actually said the number might be closer to 200 people leaving the, in the management level positions. Okay. Um, so what that means to me is $500,000 homes plus in the greater Hartford area are going to be on the market pretty soon. And those are going to be sold probably by relo companies, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and then who's going to buy those homes? Well, that's that's if gonna, we don't have the business for that, right? Yeah, yeah. So these are you know high end homes in the Greater Hartford area that are going to be sold. Um, this person also working in the industry uh, let me know that they feel in um, the next by you know twenty twenty one they're going to be a mass hiring of engineer level positions at Pratt and Whitney. Really? Yeah, because this merger is going to allow for Raytheon, which um, what they do is they manufacture communication um, programs and or devices that are going to be retrofitted into, you know, the um, helicopters and things like that. Oh, all right. Cool. Right. So Pratt & Whitney makes the engines and um, Raytheon does the kind of like a communication devices that they use. So they're going to be able to have better integration of those two products. So it's going to be the same company now. Um, they're going to, which will also allow for better pricing then, quicker turnaround times. They're going to win a lot more bids, um, government bids. So it's going to be great for that business or that company. And so by around 2021, we're going to, they're going to have all these bids. They're going to need a massive amount of engineers. So that means that in the near future, 2021, there's going to be a lot of influx of people buying around like $350,000 to $50,000 homes okay. in the greater Hartford area, which would be great, you know? Um, and I think that like we talked about in the past, the railway that's going through there, um, you know, the Hartford railway, that's going to be great. But um, are these going to be people with families? Are these going to, you know, be younger people? Maybe they're going to want it like the condo living. So it's, it would be interested to see what housing is going to look like in that area soon. Is it interesting how everything impacts the market oh, in yeah. one way or another? Mm-hmm. It is. So here's a question. Is Connecticut a fun state? I think most people would say yes, yeah. at least if you live here. Uh, the personal finance website WalletHub.com unveiled its list of 2019's most fun states in America. Uh, they compared all 50 states across 26 indicators, including movie costs, accessibility of national parks, and casinos per capita. Connecticut was toward the bottom at mm. number 43. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the eighth least fun state. I don't understand that. Uh, for entertainment and recreation, the rank was 43rd. The nightlife rank was a 40. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that there's 40 states <laughs> that are more jumping than than like Hartford. I know, New right? Haven. Come That's on. That's interesting. Well, you know what? It's funny because I, I follow a lot of bands and even comedians too. And they all say, why would I come to Connecticut? They hate coming to Connecticut. They say it's just like a drop, you know, or they're just stopping by on the way to Boston or they're stopping by on the way to New York. So I kind of get So once we get like a good band, I'm like, oh, I'm all on it. You know, unfortunately, yeah. it's a Wednesday. <laughs> Governor Lamont recently referred to Connecticut State Parks as being among the premier tourism destinations in the region. Hmm. I guess nobody agrees with him. <laughs> uh, Connecticut residents Yikes. do have free access to all state parks and forests. That which just is, happened. Yeah. You know what's funny is that I actually gave my clients, they just bought, they moved to Connecticut, they're outdoorsy people. As a closing gift, I gave them um, a free pass to all of the um, parks in Connecticut. Yeah. And li- like three months later, it it became free for all Connecticut residents. <laughs> that ended up being the nicest gift in the world yeah. into the most useless gift of yeah, all time. Yeah, 100%. That's messed up. Yeah. Although it's great for everybody else. Yeah. 
<laughs> just didn't make for a great I gift. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, California, Florida, and New York uh, were the top three states. The bottom of the barrel, Delaware, Mississippi, and West Virginia. Mm. Now, Wallenhub also ranked Connecticut among the best states to live based on its best states to live. Uh, the site ranked Massachusetts the number one state to live in. Mm. Uh, they compared to 50 states across 51 key indicators of livability, uh, housing costs, income growth, education rate, and quality of hospitals. Connecticut did much better on this list, came in a solid number 20 uh, cool. with Nebraska and South Dakota just ahead of Connecticut. Jeez. Mississippi was ranked dead last for a variety of reasons, <laughs> I'm sure. Wow. Uh, Wow, that hits pretty hard. It does. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. Nebraska and South Dakota are ahead of Connecticut. Mm. I think we got to get it together a little bit. Yeah. No, it's not I, good. I agree. But much better than the, are we fun or not? Yeah. Uh, do you watch Big Little Lies on HBO? No. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that is, if you, if you canceled HBO when Game of Thrones went off the air, I'm telling you, it's the one show Still on HBO, you gotta watch. Who's in it? Uh, Reese Witherspoon. Oh, that's that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, I mean, it's amazing. Nicole Kidman's in it. Yeah. Like, uh, and and this year Meryl Streep's on it. Is it? Does it take place in Mississippi or? No, it takes place in beautiful California. Okay. Um, Reese Witherspoon is a realtor on the show, and she has got her name is uh, uh Madeline McKenzie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the it's house. A good real estate name. It's a great real estate name, and she looks like a realtor. And her house, seven bedroom, eight bathroom house, uh, is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. You can literally stay there. Uh, they actually rent the place out. A night will set you back between three and five thousand dollars. You can rent the place out for a hundred thousand dollars for the month. The people who own a home are a couple of 80-year-olds. Mm-hmm. They aren't even aware of the show necessarily, according to their daughter. Uh, and she said that the connection to the show has not affected the price at all. What? Which is crazy. Uh, so the this home is actually in Malibu. Mm-hmm. The show is not in Malibu. The, the show is actually in uh, Northern California, like on the cliffs. And uh, I don't know. Great show. That great would be, house. Yeah, that would be a great place for a client appreciation party. Oh, my goodness. Rent it yeah, out. What? Have a big party. Oh, my party. goodness. I can't believe you don't watch that show. I'm obviously, yeah, I'm too busy. This real estate. Well, I hear you. Family life. Got to make some time. Yeah, but you know, it's funny. You said she looks like a realtor. I went to Guvea Vineyards on Friday uh, for a friend's um, end of the school year party, you know, for teachers. And I was just kind of like looking around and I'm like, oh, these people all look like realtors. And I wonder <laughs> if they all were. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of a look sometimes. Oh, there's definitely a look. Yeah. Uh, according to Zillow, parents who shop for a home are more likely to go over budget, put down a smaller down payment and end up with a longer commute than those who don't have kids. The study found that this group often makes numerous sacrifices for a home that fits the needs of the entire family. Mm-hmm. More than 25% of those with kids went over budget compared to just 21.2% without. Uh, those with kids were more likely to put down less than the traditional 20%. Uh, 
Meanwhile, parents who compromised on their home were most likely to increase the time of their commute mm-hmm. or to buy a home without their desired finishes. That's about 32% uh, and purchased a smaller home than they had originally planned. That's that's tough. There's a lot that goes into buying a house with kids. Right. It's it's a different experience than when it's just a single person. Mm-hmm. And then you have to think, you know, growing it, how, how are you going to grow into the home? Um, will it meet your needs down the road? But I've seen this where people compromise more in the commute time. You know, they're like, okay, we want 30 minutes max, but then they end up buying 45 minutes max. Um, which hopefully that works out for them. Uh, for me, I feel like that would be a deal breaker. You know, you kind of want that extra 15 minutes plus, you know, with traffic. And It's funny when we bought our house in Weathersfield, yeah. you know, we we talked to the kids. Everybody had like the thing they wanted. They wanted a pool. Mm-hmm. She wanted a she wanted a double like two ovens. Oh, I just wanted somewhere I could go and like do my thing. Yeah, and the kids all wanted their own bedroom. And Jess and I both were like, oh, we'd like to cut our commute time down. We were living in Wallingford. I was doing the morning show in Hartford. Mm-hmm. I cut my commute to eight minutes. Oh, nice. Her commute stayed exactly the same because yeah. she works in Farmington. So Wallingford to Farmington, it's the exact same distance. Mm-hmm. So for her, that was what she had to sacrifice because the house had everything else we wanted. So I, I kind of get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to think of. And obviously having a family complicates things a little bit more um, to make sure everyone's happy. Yeah. Regardless, the number of people who said they love the home that they bought. for people without kids, 91.8% for people who do have it. So it's still still 9 in 10. That's still really, really good. Six to one, half a dozen the other. Now, (laughs) you know, we started this show off. We were talking about this client appreciation party that we're doing. Um, I think you've done a better job over your career of keeping in touch Mm -hmm. with your previous clients than I have. And I'll tell you what I've noticed because I've been reaching out to everybody lately. And I know it's been some time for some of them. Not one person has been like, weird to hear from you five years late. Like, everybody's like, oh, it's so great to hear from you. Oh, I love that. You know what I mean? You kind of catch up. This is the other thing I love about having Facebook is that, you know, you can always kind of check in on your people. Yeah. I don't have to call you up and be like, hey, what have you been up to? And they're like, I have three kids. You know what I mean? You're like, no, I saw it already. So I I see what you're up to. So at, at least you're... You're, you're able to sort of engage and be in the loop still, which yeah. I think is important. No, I totally agree. And I know we're, we're going to talk about this, so I don't want to step on your toes again. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually was taught was in an Internet conversation over Facebook with another realtor slash broker owner. And um, he put out a thing saying, um, you know, let's say you had a great transaction. You were you went above and beyond. You saved your clients thousands of dollars over the transaction, um, but then you made a slight a slight mistake that cost them twenty five dollars. Would you offer to give them the twenty five dollars? You know, and a lot of people were like, "Yeah, go ahead, do it." Blah blah blah. And he kind of pushed back, and he's like, "But you went above and beyond. Like, well, you know, you you performed your your job so well that you you saved them thousands of dollars." And I'm like, "Yeah, but at the end, you have to." keep those warms and fuzzy fuzzies till the end you know yeah. if the last impression you make is that you cost them 25 dollars, that's not a good impression you know you got to make it right whether it's a gift card or you know somehow you you get back you know at the very least 
yeah. give them the lip service of like, you know, I can I could just give you twenty five dollars to make. And up of for course, it. and they're not going to say, oh, yes. no, no, that's that's quite all right. No, thanks. But then you thanks ma- for offering. But then you mail them a gift card to Home Depot. That's you what go. you that's do. Exactly. What because you do. down the road, you're going to want to be able to call them and, and, and catch up with them because that's what you need to do. That's what our job is. You're right. You know, and staying top of mind with your clients after the closing is essential for keeping your pipeline full of referrals. Give me those tips and tricks. Okay. Here's eight inexpensive ways to stay in front of your clients or prospects to prevent from becoming a ghost agent. Don't be a ghost agent. Uh, number one, develop a post-closing one-year follow-up program for your clients. That's so easy to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no reason not to do it. And they even have a lot of broke. I'm sorry, a lot of um, uh, loan officers and attorneys have these programs already. So if you partner up with these people, they have for five years. They have will send them, you know, items of value. Oh yeah, that are co-branded. You know, my, so get yourself in, in touch with one yeah, of those loan officers. My mortgage guy, I get, I get, I get that every month. Yeah. I get, I get one of those, and it gets sent to the your your clients, and yeah. Uh, number two, host a client gratitude dinner in your home or at a local restaurant, mm-hmm. which obviously we're doing. Yes. Uh, and again, it, it, you know, it it doesn't. You could you could do something as simple as having a barbecue in your home. Yeah. In your backyard with your best clients. Yeah, that sounds great. You know, how how fun would that be? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can sponsor a local youth sports team. That is something that I've done. I think that's a, a great way to keep your name out there and let people know how involved you are in the community. Right. Number four, invite a past client or someone in your sphere or of influence to coffee. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I tell you, it's been it's been kind of fun. Because I like that. I like my ego stroked a little bit if I call somebody <laughs> and they're like, oh, my God, it is so great to hear from you. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, it is. Yeah. This is awesome. Uh, number five, write handwritten <laughs> yeah, <it> notes <laughs> each day to clients and prospects. Yeah. No, that's a that's a, a mandatory because it's so nice to get that in the mail and it's so easy to do. I got to tell you, over over my lifetime. Getting handwritten notes always stands out to me. No matter, you know, if five people from the same thing sent me a handwritten note, that wouldn't take away from the idea that somebody took the time to do that. Mm -hmm. Especially in our society today with all the technology, somebody jots you like a nice, honest, handwritten note Mm -hmm. expressing feelings or a thanks or whatever. It doesn't get any better than that. And then it helps you keep practicing your handwritten your handwriting, you which know. is important yeah. because some people have atrocious handwriting right here. Number six, call five to ten prospects or past clients every business day. Those phone calls. You know, the best advice I got in all of the training we've been getting recently was you should be doing something every single day mm-hmm. to make money. That that your to do list uh, responding to emails and phone calls all the different things that you have to administrative sort of work you have to do during the day. Did you do something today to generate business tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And if you didn't, today was not a good day. Yeah. I like that advice. And it doesn't honestly have to be a phone call. Um, when I started my business, it was five people 
five real estate conversations or five new connections every day. Um, you know, whether that and you practice in the beginning. So whether like you're buying a subway and you talk to the person who's making your sandwich. So like, you know, maybe they're not going to buy a house from you, but you're still practicing talking about real estate to strangers. Um, and then it gets into a habit. And so then it's not weird. Like you're just like we talked about like um, the realtors at the gym, you know. So that's a weird conversation, you know, um, you know, bringing that up in, in awkward situations. But the more you do it, the more you talk about it, it's fun and acceptable. And you learn how to do it in not such an awkward way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then last but not least, plan personal drop eyes to clients and top tier prospects. Uh, around special occasions and and bring an item of value you know give them something something that they can walk away and and remember you by mm-hmm. one of my favorite things you know uh, it, it's funny uh again in, in the training we got they were talking about uh you know the agent that sent like the uh cookie recipe and it's like you know my 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 burner went out and i need to like relight the pilot yeah and I've got this magnet on my wall of, of how to make chocolate chip cookies. Giving your clients m- magnets with, honestly, like, practical things around the house that they could that they might not know otherwise. I've seen that a little bit, and I think that is brilliant. Yeah. Especially if, if, if it's a first-time home buyer, somebody who probably doesn't know what they're doing yet yeah to give them sort of helpful tips and i've even seen it um in in the in closing like the closing packages mm-hmm. where like at the end it's just a bunch of pages of like just kind of like some some easy easy fixes around the house that you can make to make your home a little more comfortable yeah, yeah. actually one of my favorites was i had a client who um wanted to move she had a number of reasons but one of them was her hot water doesn't get hot enough in her house and so in every home and I didn't realize this um she didn't voice that reason to me in the beginning um but every house we went into she turned on the hot water and I thought she was just looking for water pressure but it was really to see how hot the hot water gets and then I'm like oh why do you do that you know she told me I'm like oh my gosh you know you can turn the temperature up on your hot water heater (laughs) right and she was so grateful so things like that you know if someone has never owned a home before, they don't know how to do that, perhaps. Yeah. So those little things. Better than some of the other things I've seen out there as yeah. far as, you know, what's an item of value. Again, something practical that in a big spot, you're a hero because mm-hmm. you you sort of, it's like, oh, my realtor thought of everything, including mm-hmm. this emergency three years in. Right. You know, so just a thought. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, you can check out that full list at closingtimepodcast.com. Get all the uh, links to all these news stories. Uh, again, helpful tips to buyers, sellers, and other agents. You can check out the previous episodes uh, on this podcast. Abby is all over Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook at Closing Time Podcast. Uh, we do also offer home video tours, realtor branding videos, aerial shots, live streams, and so much more. ClosingTimePodcast.com. Just click on the CMG Real Estate link. So uh, we are doing this uh, client appreciation party. Again, we would love any sort of input or advice or just things that we should look out for uh, or even stories, maybe uh, funny stories that maybe you had from your own experiences. We would certainly love to hear them. Yeah. And also um, anybody with any sort of... um 
uh, interest in regards to tiny homes, let me know what you would like to hear about. And if you have any experience either living in them, selling them, um, building one, reach out. Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Right on. All right. Well, until next time, she's Abby Bro. I'm Joe McGuire. Thank you for listening to the Closing Time Podcast.